Hey everyone, before we jump into this week's amazing episode, I'd like to share with those who don't know that October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Myself and almost everyone I've ever met has in some way or another been affected by cancer. Each month here at Krista Makes a Podcast, we bring awareness to a different charity. For the whole month of October, we partner with Gilda's Club of Middle Tennessee. Their mission is to ensure all people impacted by cancer are empowered by knowledge, strengthened by action, and sustained by community. It's been a tough year for charitable organizations, so please, if you can, go to KristaMakesADifference.com, which will redirect you to the Gilda's Club site to make a donation. Together, we can make a difference. Now let's dive into this awesome episode. Hey gang, today's guest is my old pal, Mark Hoppus, bassist and lead vocalist for Blink-182. Mark was kind enough to let me pick one of their songs to dissect today, and I went with their breakout hit, What's My Age Again? I share with Mark exactly where I was when I first heard the track and what my initial impression of it was. We talk about how the dynamic within the band changed upon Travis Barker joining and how producer Jerry Finn was considered the fourth member of Blink-182. Mark shares how the song was written very quickly in the first house that he owned and he remembers the band being super impressed upon initially hearing it. We also talk about the legacy that the song still has 21 years after its release and Mark tells an embarrassing story from the pop disaster tour that involves Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day. For all this and much more, stay tuned. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Less Than Jake and Blink uh, did a six-week U.S. tour uh, together back in the fall of 1997. Uh, You guys were touring behind your uh, uh, Dude Ranch record, which was your major label debut for uh, MCA Records. Uh, I distinctly remember uh, being parked outside of a venue, Mark, and you walked up to our van and told me uh, excitedly uh, that Damn It had just gotten put into rotation uh, on MTV. And uh, I I was truly witnessing the machine that was at work. Uh, Your your manager at the time, Rick DeVoe, uh, and MCA, they, they did a fantastic job marketing uh, and promoting the band. Uh, <clears throat> fast forward to March 1999, uh, Less Than Jake played an event uh, called Boarding for Breast Cancer at the Boreal uh, Ski Resort in Lake Tahoe. Uh, Goldfinger, Third Eye Blind, and you guys were also uh, on that bill. Uh, and at the time, uh, our two bands shared a booking agent named Rick Bondi. And uh, Rick and I were talking backstage when he said uh, to me, he said, hey, Chris, you got to come out to my truck and, and hear the new Blink single. And uh, he popped in the advanced cassette of What's My Age Again. And uh, I, I got to tell you, I, I sat there mesmerized by not only how catchy it was, but also how amazing uh, it sounded. And, you know, rarely in my life um, have I been so sure about something, but, you know, I knew unequivocally 100% that this song was a smash and it would take a catastrophic uh, <laughs> fuck up on MCA's part for that not to happen. So, Take us back, if you will, Mark. Do you, do you remember writing the song? I do remember writing the song, and thanks for all your kind words. I was sitting on the floor of the first house that I bought uh, with our first advance from Dude Ranch, and I was messing around on a guitar, and I started writing a joke song uh, that was really vulgar, <laughs> a lot more <laughs> vulgar than the final song. You uh, know. Yeah, believe it or not, I'm sad <laughs> to say. But yeah, I wrote this really vulgar song. And I was going to record it as a joke song for Blink, but I don't know. It, it sounded like it had some potential and it sounded like it could actually be a pretty decent 
regular song. So I changed the lyrics and uh, began writing it and basically wrote the majority of the song in probably five minutes, I think, and yeah. presented the idea to Tom and Travis at rehearsal. And they thought it was a rad idea. And we just built it out from there. So, you know, can't believe everything you read on the internet, but I read that this was originally titled Peter Pan Complex. Is that what you're referring to? Yes, I, I wrote a song and, and that was the original title. That was the working title. That is the title on all of the reels uh, from the recording <laughs> session with Jerry Finn. And when we went to give it to the label, the label was like, but if we were to release this as a single, people won't understand that Peter Pan Complex means what's my age again. You need to name it something that uh, that is recognizable from the song and we were like that's kind of ridiculous you know bands that we love have titles that are unrelated to any of the lyrics in the song and people still get it uh but mca was pretty insistent uh which is why on the when we really insisted on the second single uh well on back on uh sorry on dude ranch it was damn it parentheses growing up and then it was Josie, parentheses, everything's going to be fine. And on this one, we didn't want parentheses. So they really made us just say, what's my age again? That's interesting. Well, and, and coming from a band with song titles such as Dick Lips and Apple Shampoo and M&Ms, I mean, Peter Pan Complex would have fit right in. But uh... Totally. And, and I felt like, <laughs> and I felt like, uh, and they were worried about Disney suing us and all kinds of weird things. So I, you know, uh, it was very corporate uh, environment at the, at the label at the time and uh luckily they let us pretty much record the album we wanted to nobody from the label came down to the studio uh except maybe to check in and say hi but there was never any direction from the label as far as creative stuff so they let us do what we wanted in the studio but they were pretty insistent on having a title that people would go into the record store call up a radio station and say i want to hear what's my age again well i i hate to say it as an artist i'm, I'm there with you mark but i think that was the right decision <laughs> looking back yeah <laughs> in, in retrospect <laughs> In retrospect, I don't think that it should have been called Peter Pan Complex. <laughs> What's my age again feels right. It, it, it really does. You know, you touched on Jerry Finn a moment ago, and uh, I, I was struck, and I, I mentioned it in the, in the, in the intro, uh, about uh, when Rick uh, Bondi played me the, the song initially, I uh, just struck on the production and uh, obviously what, what what Travis brought to the table. And uh, that's that's not a knock against Scott, who uh, Rainer, who was there during the uh, tour that we did with you for Dude Ranch, but it was just like the whole band was elevated. I was just like, like I said, I was mesmerized and I was, I was happy for you guys. I was proud of you guys. Um, and, uh, you know, the song has just become, uh, it was your breakout, breakout single. So again, let's, let's set it up. You were, you were writing it in, in your first home and, and you said that it was, uh, really quickly, which some of the greatest songs are written in five minutes. And, uh, when you got it, uh, to the guys, Tom and Travis, do you remember the initial, what was, was the lyrics there yet? Or was it just like a melody and, a, and, and the, uh, guitar arrangement, the chords? Uh, it was the first, no, actually, by the time that I brought it to Tom and Travis, it was uh, first and second verse and the chorus. So we were really building out the bridge we didn't have yet. And and then uh, when we got into the studio, originally the song ended at the end of the last chorus. But I really liked the way that the guitar, the arpeggiated guitar progression over the chorus uh, rhythm guitars sounded. So we actually extended the song but this is before pro tools so we actually had to bounce everything from 24 track two inch onto another 24 track two inch cut it out and splice it together 
Uh, and and for those, and I've talked about Pro Tools on my show before, but you know, for those that don't know, that was a pain in the ass. <laughs> it was a total pain in the ass. People don't realize <laughs> how much work recording is now, but how much work it used to be back before Pro Tools. I mean, every day someone had to go into the studio, fire up the 24-track uh, two-inch machine, calibrate everything, get it, like take tiny little like um, tiny screwdrivers and just tweak little tiny screws to make sure all the heads are aligned perfectly and everything's calibrated perfectly because the 24 track playhead had to be perfectly aligned so that nothing was off time. And even just a fraction of an inch of misalignment would create phasing issues. And uh, it was crazy. Yeah. I remember distinctly showing up to recording studios and the engineer had been there three or four hours before the band turned up. By the time we got there, he was completely over it. Yeah, totally. (laughs) But, uh, so do you remember in uh, when you were writing this, how many other songs uh, were written for Enema of the State? Was this one of the first ones or was it somewhere in the middle? I feel like it was one of the first ones. I feel like it was one of the beginning ones. And it was one that kind of, I don't even think that we were in the recording process at the time, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. I think that this was all, you know, this was before we had the money to just go into a studio and start writing. Uh, this was back when we would, write songs. Literally, Tom and I would call each other up on the telephone, play each other a progression, kind of sing it over the phone. Oh, yeah, that sounds like a cool idea. Remember that one. And then we would get into a rehearsal space in Escondido and rehearse up there. It was a tiny, I mean, tiny, tiny, maybe like 10 by 10 foot room. And we were all right on top of each other. Travis's drum kit, Tom, his microphone, his guitar setup, me, my bass, my microphone, sweaty, hot, playing songs back and forth to each other. And I think we demoed those songs at that rehearsal studio. And then once the songs were totally ready to go, Jerry Finn came in. We played him all the songs. He made his adjustments. Oh, what about this? What about this? I like that. Changed the chord, you know, all the stuff that a producer comes in and does. And then we went uh, up to L.A. and recorded it proper. Gotcha. Now, during this time, uh, do you remember when you wrote it? Was it uh, were you in between Dude Ranch tours or, or was a was a touring cycle for Dude Ranch completed? You were off and you were in between records. I don't remember that, but I feel like we were in between records at the time. But we were playing shows so much that it never felt like we stopped touring. It wasn't like, OK, we released the album and then we're going to tour for three months and then we're going to stop touring and we're going to start recording the next record. It was like we were touring and playing shows and we'd get added on to this date and we get added on to this date and oh oh these these five shows came up we're going to do a little mini run of that so it wasn't ever like we did a proper dude ranch tour we just started touring and never stopped <laughs> yeah and and somewhere along the line we were in there with you guys and like i said i saw i saw what was happening it was just one little thing after the other and you could see the momentum building and and of course you had been on some warp tours by that time and uh it, it was really cool to see you know you mentioned uh jerry finn a moment ago uh rest his soul um you know my listeners know from some past episodes we've talked about jerry uh he uh got his uh, an initial fame from, from mixing Dookie. And, uh, how was Jerry brought into the process? Was that, was that something that, that you guys, was he on your wish list of a producer? Or was this a, a suggestion from MCA? I think that it was a suggestion from MCA. We didn't know that Jerry had mixed Dookie at the time. I don't even know that Jerry's credited as mixing Dookie in the liner notes. Is he, I, I'd have to go back and check, but I, I want to say came- he is, but I, yeah. Jerry came to mix Dookie by a very roundabout way. They had recorded, Green Day and Rob Cavallo recorded the record. I guess they had sent it out to several mixers. Jerry was an engineer on the project. 
and they weren't happy with the mixes that they were getting back. And so I think in the studio, they just turned to Jerry and were like, Hey, you seem to know what you're doing. You want to take a crack at mixing this. And he kind of like fell into it like that. And Jerry was this amazing talent that I don't know. I, I don't think that they realized was sitting in the room with them at the time. Or maybe they did. And that's why they asked him to mix the record. But I think that Jerry came to us through MCA. We met with him. He just, he just seemed like a brother from the first time that I remember hanging out with him. He always was like the fourth member of Blink-182, a dear friend, just the smartest, funniest, most talented music producer, mixer I could ever hope to meet. Uh, I can corroborate everything you said about Jerry. Uh, we worked with Rob Cavallo on a record and uh, Rob said the same thing. It was just like Jerry one night was like, you know, you mind if I have a shot? And, and uh, he was... In there, uh, tinkering around, and Rob came in. I can't remember what song it was. Rob had told me. Came in the next morning and, and heard a mix and was like, oh, my God, here it is. <laughs> yeah. He was fi finally hearing what, what he wanted to hear. Um, do you remember Jerry's initial take uh, when he, he heard What's My Age Again? I think he liked it. I mean, I don't remember the first time that he heard it. I remember him coming into the rehearsal spot and us playing the songs for him before we demoed them, and he – he took notes on, uh, he always carried around these green spiral bound notebooks and he would take all of his notes in those. And, and I think he liked it right off the bat. I don't think that he had any real comments on it at all. Right. And anybody else, your, your manager, Rick at the time or anybody from MCA, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming they, they were hearing the demos and well, did, did you demo this a proper demo? I, I think so, but I don't remember specifically. I, I, I believe we did. I know that we demoed a whole bunch of songs before we went into the studio, um, but I don't know if this was one of them. I have to think that it was. Okay. Okay. Well, um, I'd like to get into, uh, uh, break down the song a little bit now and get in, get into the lyrics and the first verse. Of course, it, it starts out with that, uh, catchy, uh, amazing, uh, arpeggiated guitar part. And it's, it's very quick, uh, within about, uh, Eight seconds were in the first verse, and uh, I'm going to read this right now. I took her out. It was a Friday night. And I got to tell you, Mark, and I, I, I saw something recently on Twitter of the second line where, you, you know, some fans were busting your chops and you were busting it right back. Uh, the second line I never knew till I printed the lyrics out yesterday. I took her out. It was a Friday night. I wore cologne to get the feeling right. We started, yes. we started making out and she took off my pants, but then I turned on the TV. Um, I always said, I thought you said I walk alone to get the feeling right. <laughs> I know. It's what it sounds like. If you listen, if you just listen to it and you don't read the lyrics, it sounds like I walk alone to get the feeling right, but it's not. I walk alone. I took her out. It was a Friday night. I walk alone to get the feeling right. We started making Like that's how much of a shithead I was. Like I thought I was, I thought I was going to impress this girl by wearing a bunch of cologne. Like check me out. Right. Yeah, <laughs> no, and it's great. And when I when I finally when I listened to this song again, I mean, I've heard this song a million times, but when I listened to it and I I zoned in on that, I'm like, yeah, he's saying I wore cologne, son of a son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> can I tell you? Can I tell you a little funny aside? Please uh, do. Occasionally, I play shows with uh, a band called the Royal Machines, and it's uh, it's Dave Navarro, it's Josh Freeze, it's it's a bunch of like uh, like rock guys. Mark McGrath is in the band, uh, and. We were going to cover What's My Age Again, and I felt so validated in my life because Dave Navarro told me, hey, man, I can't play that beginning lick on the guitar. It's too difficult for me. Do you mind if we split it up? Like I do like half of the riff, and he does the other half of the riff. And I was like, hell yeah, right on. If Dave Navarro can't play my riff, I wrote a good riff. <laughs> it's a tricky little thing, buddy. It's it a is. Tricky you, have to, you have to skip over strings, and it's all, it's all articulated, and it's not distorted. 
and it's just the guitar that's out there naked all by itself. So if you mess up one of the one of the strings, it's it's just out there. No, it's a, it, it's a tough riff, and that's uh, that's really cool that Dave uh, was that humble to you because as we know, he's he's a ripper. <laughs> oh, he's shredder. I mean, he's one of the best guitarists. <laughs> I know that's a, that's the ultimate compliment. Um, so this first verse, and actually the the whole song, you know, and when you get to the popularity that you guys did then, and, and again, I saw the evolution of what was happening to you, and I know. Um, I mean, your influences are, are everything from the cure to screeching weasel to the descendants. Uh, it's kind of all over the place. And, and I know Tom was really into screeching weasel, uh, but these lyrics could have been on a screeching weasel record. And, uh, uh, and I mean that with utmost sincerity, cause that's one of my favorite bands. Um, you know, this first verse, again, you said you're being a shithead. Um, do you remember if the first verse was always this or had, did it kind of go through an evolution? It was always this except the ending wasn't i turned on the tv it was so it was something i don't remember exactly what it was but it was something way more vulgar than and then i turned on the tv <laughs> oh i wish we remembered i'm sure it was great uh, though <laughs> uh, i mean it was awful i'm glad i'm probably glad i don't remember it but the the idea was always like you know i took her out we had a good time we started making out you know she takes off my pants and then like i just did the, the worst thing in the world and that's about the time she walked away from me um yeah. Well, and, and now that line, what's interesting is this first line, and that's about the time she walked away from me, is that the end, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm not really asking, I'm just talking out loud, is that the end of the verse, is that a really short pre-chorus, or is that the start of the chorus? And that's Shit, what, I, never even, I never even thought about it. I, and I and that's what's genius about it. Yeah, I don't know. It's, um, I would say that it is, I don't know. It's a pre-chorus. That's about the time she walked away from me. Yeah, I would say it's a pre-chorus. <laughs> kind of. I mean, so so I guess the chorus starts with nobody likes you when you're 23. But but to me, oh, no, I would say no, that's about. The, I would say away from me. I'd say that's the the one of the chorus. That's about the time they walked away. Yeah, the one of the choruses on "Way from Me." Yeah. Well, um, I, I really again when I when I get in here and I break down the songs, I always find little interesting tidbits. And that was something with this song. I'm sitting here going, wait a second, that's kind of the verse. Wait, no, that's a pre-chorus. But wait, the second time it happens in the song, it's different. So what, wait, is it the start of the chorus? And uh, I'm glad I, I got you thinking too. That's really cool. Um, so we get into the chorus. Um, Nobody likes you when you're 23. And I'm still more amused by TV shows. What the hell is ADD? My friends say I should act my age. What's my age again? What's my age again? So, you know, I, I know the first verse you're talking about the, you know, kind of being a shit or whatever. Was was this song in any ways, was it autobiographical or were you just kind of writing a funny song? I was just writing a funny song. I'll, I'll tell you where the very, very or origin of the song was, was there's a Green Day song called J.A.R. that's on the uh, Angus soundtrack. Yeah. It, and it starts off with this bass intro that's really rad. And I was messing around a guitar trying to learn that, and I kind of messed up the progression, and I played it incorrectly, and I was like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. And that was the basis for the opening riff of the song, was me trying to learn how to play J.A.R. on guitar and messing <laughs> it up and coming up with something that I liked that was different than that. Oh, um, that's awesome, man. That's Yeah, J.A.R. is uh, one of my favorite Green Day songs. Just And it's such a great song. And and this is a story that is completely embarrassing to me. So I would love to share it with your audience. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> yeah. When we started the pop disaster tour, Blink-182 and Green Day, uh, at one of the first shows, I think it was in Bakersfield or something like that. And, 
And uh, we had, Blink and Green Day had done some um, like promo stuff together and taken photos. And I think we'd done like a uh, some kind of a press conference, like a virtual press conference where people were calling in with questions. And we, we'd met each other and we'd kind of made friends. I was in Green Day's dressing room of the first night of the show, talking with Billy Joe and just like, hey, you know, I'm a big fan. I love your, you know, been influenced by your band and stuff. And man, I fucking love Jar so much. That song is so good. Like, I think that's your best song. And man, I, I just really am a fan. And he goes, oh, that's cool. Yeah, Mike Dirt wrote that one. It's the only one of our songs that he wrote. <laughs> I, did not, I, did, I did not know that. For real? I didn't know it either. And so I was like, oh, well. I, you know, I love all your songs a lot, but I'm sure there's other ones I like just as much. There's no way to backpedal or recoup from that. <laughs> no, but he was really gracious and he didn't say like in a dick way or anything. He's like, oh yeah, you know, Mike wrote that one. That's, uh, and I was like, oh fuck. Okay. Well. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, I've done that before uh, with, with artists. I've said things then. Uh, oh man. It's yeah. It's a, it's a weird one because you mean it with the utmost sincerity, but then it's like, you know, the, the brakes come on. Um, that's that that's awesome um i saw you guys on that tour uh, in atlanta and it was it was great um so second verse comes out of the chorus and the chorus just has like a half of the intro it's very quick that guitar part comes back in which the guitar part is just it, it's iconic it's it's haunting and it's just so catchy um then later on on the drive home i called her mom from a payphone. i said i was the cops and your husband's in jail the state looks down on sodomy and that's about the time that bitch hung up on me. So again, Damn. yeah. So again, this was, uh, this was just a story you were writing and, and yeah, you- it was just a story I was writing. Um, by the way, I want to say, I want to cut back to the chorus, the first chorus real yeah. quick. Yeah. I love that. Nobody likes you when you're 23 has somehow become part, a small little corner of popular culture. They literally, Almost every single day, at least every single week, I get tagged on Instagram where people are having their 23rd birthday and people get them a Blink-182 cake and it says nobody likes you when you're 23 in icing on the outside of the cake. All the time, literally almost every single day that happens. And it makes me so happy that even now, 20 years later, that song still, that line still resonates and that song still resonates in such a way that on their 23rd birthday, people are, you know, hitting me up on Twitter, like, Hey, I'm turning 23. Is everything going to suck now? Or, Hey, I just turned 24. I guess people are going to like me again. But it's just so weird that that one little idea. And I only said 23, I think I was 25 at the time uh, that I wrote the song or maybe 26, but it was only because it rhymed with way me. for me. Yeah. 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 Um, oh man, I, I'm, I'm smiling ear to ear. That's a, I'm proud of you, man. That's awesome. That's a, that, that's, I mean, that's a great, who, who would have thought that you know, 22 years later, uh, you wrote this in whatever, 98, 99, 21, 22 years later that, yeah. uh, that, that, that would be happening. Certainly if I would have told you in 99, that'd be happening in 20, you'd be like, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. Nah, no way. The, the, so the second verse, I, th- I don't think I wrote on the same day. I think that once I presented the idea to, to Tom and Travis and we were like, let's make this a real song. I think I wrote that later, and uh, I'm really proud of the fact that I think that Blink-182 is the first band to ever be on radio with the song Sodomy in it, like in the charts, <laughs> in the alternative radio charts with the words Sodomy. It just isn't, uh, yeah, it just doesn't happen very often or, or no, ever, uh-huh. or ever. We, we planted that flag. 
<laughs> yeah. Do you get any uh, any any sodomy tweets or anything? Or you not know, really no, no. no? Okay, okay, that's that's a good thing. Yeah, the 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 cake, uh, the twenty three cake's a little easier to swallow. No pun intended. <laughs> um, <laughs> the uh, the line again, and that's about the time that bitch hung up on me. Uh, changes uh, from the first line, which. Now that I think about it, it almost leads itself that this is this is still part of the verse because you're continuing the continuing the thought of of what you were telling this uh, uh, this mother this woman on the phone. Um, so up to this point in the song, do you remember um, anything in the studio like that, that Jerry was throwing out? Did he have a uh, anything to say for the lyrics or or the arrangement at this point? Not at this point. The uh... The point where Jerry, now now that we're talking about it in detail, the point that Jerry came in and wanted to change things was the bridge. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he come out of the second chorus, and I had come up with a bass part for the bridge, but it was way too long. Like, like the guitar was doing its part. Like Tom came up with this arpeggiated guitar thing that goes over the bass. And originally, I think it was eight full measures, and it just seemed like it took forever. And then Jerry was like, that, that's just way too long. It gets boring. We need to cut it down. So originally, the guitar part went two and two and four, and now I think it goes one and one and two. Okay. Okay. Um, and it's funny you say that now, cause I was kind of thinking that's where you're going to go with this. Cause that bridge was, was kind of a departure for blink, at least at that time, you guys really hadn't done anything. I know, uh, just the, the backbeat and, and, and the rhythm, a lot of that is Travis in there. And it was really different at the time for you guys. And it, it makes sense that Jerry would have had a, had a part in that. Um, so the, the second chorus, and we're going to get to that, that bridge in a moment. Uh, okay, cool. I love that part. Um, the second chorus changes. You know, the first line is nobody likes you when you're 23. Um, but the second line is, is I'm still more amused by prank phone calls. What the hell is call ID instead of ADD? caller ID? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, my friends say I should act my age. What's my age again? What's my age again? And I want to point out that at this moment in the song, Mark, and this this was I was astonished by this uh, earlier when I, when I noticed it, it's only a minute and 10 seconds at this point, <laughs> dude, there's songs, there's songs. You don't get to the fucking chorus until a minute, you yeah, know, true. a lot of, a lot of great popular pop songs, uh, yeah. a, a minute 10 and we're already through the second chorus, which, you know, at the time, um, you know, your audience was a pop punk audience so coming off a of dude ranch. That was your bread and butter. You know, you guys were a punk rock band and, uh, mm-hmm. fast, quick songs. I mean, this song is only two minutes and 26 seconds for a radio song. That's a little, a little short, you know? Um, and I, I just marveled at that. I got a kick out of that one ten. I never realized that until I analyzed the song. I'm a, Holy crap. We're only at one ten, And then the bridge comes in. And the bridge is 25 seconds long. So holy ta- balls for real. Yeah, yeah. The bridge is 25 seconds long. So, so talk about that. So now all of a sudden you're only a minute and 10 in and this breath of fresh air, it, it's a complete departure. Was that something that you wrote? I mean, I know you said there was some, some, some changes and, and Tom had had th- this thing, but how did Jerry come into play with this? And how did this finally get sussed out? If you remember. Uh, if I remember correctly, we were in the studio in Encinitas and it was, it was just way too long. And I think everybody had the same thought, like this is just going on forever. Uh, and so we just shortened Tom's guitar part and shortened the whole thing by almost half. And I think that the bridge is really indicative of the X factor that Travis brings into Blink-182. Just 
like the just the quiet drums with a side stick. It's so tasty. It's so well done. And it seems it's one of those things that I would never think of in a million years. Tom would never think of in a million years. But Travis comes in and does something over our ideas that just elevates it to a completely different place that really indicates what Travis brings to Blink, like his creative ideas over stuff that Tom, I mean, literally Tom and I used to come with a Travis and go, I think the drums go like this. And we play like a, you know, basic pattern on our knees or, you know, <laughs> yeah, sing it yeah. to him or whatever. And Travis just nods at us and goes, yeah, yeah, cool. Okay. And then goes in and does whatever it is that comes to his mind. And it's always way better. So I don't even like literally now, if I have an idea to present to Travis, I record it to a click and I send it to him without any, like not even any ideas of drums. I don't think this is a double time song. I don't think this is a mid-tempo song. Just This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Here's the song. Here's the tempo. Go do your thing. Yeah. And I've talked to people about Travis before. I don't think people realize what a songwriter he is. He's so much more than a drummer. And it was apparent when he got in the band. And this part, he he's just kind of so involved with it. And just like you said, the side stick and just the snare stuff and just how how the the bridge builds in the song. And then just yeah. that snare just goes and then boom, you're in that third chorus. About the time she walked away from me. The overdubs and everything in the bridge, the, the how the guitar changes. Um, it's just it's awesome. I, I I love the part, and it's such a breath of fresh air. Not that you really need one because we're only a minute and ten into the song. <laughs> but it's so crowded, like everything happens so quickly. Like the guitar starts, goes around twice, the bass comes in, the vocals come in, all of a sudden the chorus hits, goes straight back into the second verse, straight into the second chorus, and like if we had if we had written a, uh, a bridge that had a lot of stuff going on and lyrics happening, I don't know. It just feels like, like you said, it's a breath of fresh air. It's a break from the frenetic energy of the song. Uh, yeah. And, and, and what, and what would you have said in the bridge? I was going to say you, there's no lyrics here, but I don't, I don't think you needed lyrics. Obviously you didn't, it doesn't call for it. There's, there's, there's a lot going on here. There is, there is actually a lot going on and it, it changes quickly enough that it doesn't get boring. Um, I, li- I really like Tom's guitar part. I think it's I think it's peak Tom DeLong, like writing a little guitar riff for the for that section. Yeah, I love what Travis did. You know, my bass basically stays the same the whole time, uh, but those guys really get artistic with it, and I think it's perfect. Yeah, no, it's 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 awesome. It's an amazing part, um, and so that was twenty five seconds, which isn't excruciatingly long. It, it's perfect for the part, but then the 
last chorus is a double chorus. Um, yes. And uh, this is the last 50 seconds of the song. It's a double chorus here, and it's a- almost a minute long, um, which is testament to just how catchy it is, and, it, and it's warranted. It's uh, it's perfect, because again, the song's only two minutes and 26 seconds, which is remarkable. Um, the chorus, uh, and that's about the time she walked away from me, out of the bridge. Nobody likes you when you're 23, and you still act like you're in freshman year. What the hell is wrong with me? My friends say I should act my age. What's my age again? What's my age again? Um, and then on the second half of the chorus, we'll get there in a second. I love the second half because that arpeggiated intro guitar comes back in really loud. And it's so cool that it works over that riff. I think that might, I think that might have been jerry's idea or my idea that because that's that's something that i don't think that we were doing before that point i don't know i'd have to go back and listen to to all the other songs we wrote before that but but that was kind of the thing that that i love in that song the when that arpeggiated guitar comes back in and the um the other backing vocal comes in the please stay with me one yeah and it's kind of going between the left and the right speaker with that vocal effect on it it's really neat um and not to take anything away from uh fellow uh san diego uh and uh, mark trombino who produced dude ranch uh but you know mark uh i've met mark work with mark he was he was more of an engineer uh, uh rec- you know someone that would re- record you and uh you know jerry to me seem more like a, a producer in the sense of, of things that we're talking about with the guitars and this should come in and, and how integral was he? It sounds like he, he was to, to, uh, uh, suggesting parts like, Hey, what if we had this? And like, did he come up with that vocal effect and, and the panning back and forth? I think that that was probably Tom Lord algae. Ah, mixing. Uh, if I, yeah, if I remember correctly, I don't, you know what I want to do now is I want to go back and bring up the bring up the sessions and and find out originally what we had tracked just to see where everything lays. But um, but yeah, Jerry was very integral in every single part of Blink One Eighty Two. He he would have uh, ideas. He wouldn't suggest like necessarily, hey, I have an idea for this part, and then he'd like grab a guitar and write a guitar part. He would be like, you know, what if that part was not so busy? What if you did half of that? Or what if you did twice as much of that? Or, you know, what if we took this section that you did in the beginning and overdubbed it here as well? But he he also was completely hands-on with all of the sounds. He, he grew up playing in punk rock bands, and he went through the entire studio system, you know, starting off as an assistant and a runner at studios in Los Angeles. So he had this vast knowledge of music and how songs work together, and also the knowledge of all the gear and how everything worked. We spent days and days getting Travis's drum sounds uh, together at a studio called Mad Hatter in West Hollywood, not West Hollywood, in uh, North Hollywood, Okay, which was Chick Corea's studio back in the day. Mm. And, uh, and Jerry was just so meticulous over tones. It would drive Travis and Tom absolutely crazy because <laughs> we take, he would take hours and hours agonizing over microphone placement and which compressor and at which rate. And literally when we were on the Untitled album, he would, uh, we would test cables. He would... We'd spend like two hours testing different cables, laying in different directions over different. Th- it was he was that meticulous, but that's why everything sounds so good. Oh, absolutely no. Um, and and I just it's so nice to hear. I love when bands have great producer stories because people don't realize how integral. And and, and you you said it uh, at, at the top that he was like the fourth member of Blink. He really was. And you know when we worked with Mark, Mark was also a great 
producer, a great engineer, getting great sounds. He had ideas. He was throwing them at us. I think that with Dude Ranch, you know, we were on a very small budget. We were given a very limited amount of time. And when we were recording Dude Ranch, we wanted to be a very, what we thought at the time was a very punk rock band. That We didn't want to do a bunch of extra stuff. We wanted to do this thing. I mean, we spent more time on stupid like joke interludes in dude ranch of like you know <laughs> i don't know whatever the dumb joke interludes were in dude ranch that we did we spent way more time on that than we did on trying to get the perfect vocal take so yeah and i i, I can relate to that you guys were young uh you you knew who your fan base was you guys hadn't broke out yet and uh you were wanting to uh yeah, be yourselves, but also be who you thought uh, uh, people wanted you to be. And and that's a tough spot to be in. And then you get someone like Jerry. How do you feel that you guys were open to that with him? Did you feel like you were ready for, for the next step uh, the, of what Jerry was bringing uh, in terms of production? I think that we were ready to make a record that we were really proud of across the board from the, from the sounds to the songs to the potential that we could take. And Jerry had this innate ability to get the best possible performance and work out of every person in our band. Like there's a way to talk to Tom to get the absolute best out of him, which is entirely different than the best way to talk to Travis to get the best out of him, which is different than how you, how he talks to me. And he just has that ability, that innate charm, or I don't know, like he would be a great con man if he was an evil person, but he wasn't, <laughs> but he just has that, he just has that, I don't know, quality where he knows you as a person and he knows how to talk to you in a way that, inspires you but also makes you want to work harder i've i've always said that the best producers are, are, are part-time psychologists they really are totally they um, really it, are it, it it's it, i i equate it i used to play sports growing up i equate it to having a great coach someone who's able to go okay I, I know how i have to train this guy i know how i have to train this guy they're two different human beings i can't train them the same and it's the same in the studio i can't react to travis how i'm going to react to mark they're two different humans and what works with one doesn't work with the other uh and that's really awesome that you brought that up because I've, I've talked about that before it's such a great point um something real quick and i want to i want to just uh uh, go over the last uh, lyric here in the double chorus of the of the last chorus. Was it ever brought up by Jerry or anybody? Did you ever think yourself that wow, all these choruses are different and there's a lot of words? I mean, the refrain's always the same. What's my age again? What's my age again? But every chorus changes, and a lot of times you want the simplicity of a chorus to just hit you over the head with the same thing. Or did did you always want these to be different lyrically? I always wanted those to be different lyrically, and that's something that I always like and something that we still employ lyrically now is where you take the basic structure and you change a couple words here and there to progress the story and to keep it interesting. So it still feels like home. It still feels like something that uh, I, I read somewhere that the best songwriting, the best art and the best books and everything else is the evolution of familiarity. Yeah. Where you introduce an idea, people latch onto that idea and then the next time it comes around, you change it slightly. And so they're still involved and that change grabs them even more. And I don't know, like Matt does it a lot in Alkaline Trio. Other artists I know do it a lot where you just change a couple words here and there and it progresses. It makes things a little bit different, but it still feels like something that is home. Yeah. And I think the story needed it here. I think it, uh, it obviously works perfect. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to, to, to know about that if it was ever that discussion, because a lot of times, uh, it can go either way. A lot of times, yeah, there's, there's too much here. We gotta, we gotta lack of a better word, dumb it down or, or no, it's gotta be, gotta be this much content. And, uh, I think it's great. Um, it's pretty rare that people tell Blink-182 we need to dumb it down. 
<laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> kind of um, the, the second half of the chorus, uh, the last chorus is that's about the time she broke up with me. No one should take themselves so seriously with many years ahead to fall in line. Why would you wish that on me? I never want to act my age. What's my age again? What's my age again? What's my age again? Um, the song is done. You're uh, in the studio. I'm assuming by this point, uh, some of the suits, as we call them, the label people, A&R person, uh, they're hearing hearing this uh, come through the speakers in the studio. What What's the thoughts? Was was this the, a surefire uh, first single or, or was there uh, any others in the running? I think it was between this and all the small things as being the first single. Okay. Um, you know, back in the day, it used to be like your first single was the upbeat, like, you know, positive, rock out, have a great party time song. Second single was a little more, I don't know, in the cut. And then third single was always a ballad. So that that was the formula back in the late 90s, as far as I could tell from releasing rock albums. And right. so, yeah. And of course you guys led with this and all the small things. And then of course the ballad was Adam's song exactly. Uh, that came third and it, and it, and it worked uh, brilliantly. Um, so the song, I mean, and this is quick again, we played together in March 99, the song came out in April and then we toured again together on the warp tour in 1999, a few short months later. And by that right. time, by that time, it was just, I mean, you guys were becoming superstars and, uh, it was it was amazing, and I remember. And I was gonna I was gonna ask you, uh, do you remember the first time playing "What's My Age Again" live? Nope, not at all. You don't? Not okay. even. I don't. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember it at all. I wish I had it somewhere. I, as you were telling me that, I was like, I'm talking about touring with you guys and talking about going. Which I wish I could time travel back then and really appreciate better what was happening at the moment, and really appreciate what was happening around me, and appreciate like my bandmates more and the the moment but at the time you're just in it and you know we're on the warp tour and we're working and we got all these shows and things are happening we have all of a sudden we're supposed to do radio press and people are coming to the shows to interview us and take photographs and do things and and uh it's just this crazy whirlwind and no it's I don't know. It, I it, it, it's yeah I, I oh man i understand everything uh that you're saying right now because I wish I could go back sometimes and have a do over on a few things because it's just happening so fast. And for you guys, and I've seen this happen a couple of times. I mean, I've had a, a, an amazing career, but but it's a different level when you get to, to where you guys were at. And to see your friends, you you guys have always been grounded. You and Tom, Travis, you guys have always been been very cool to me and my band. I'll, I'll see you somewhere and, it, and we'll just pick up to, to where we were back in the day. Uh, you're down to earth people. But man, I witnessed it. You guys were getting pulled out every which direction it was a million miles an hour and uh for a young person for anybody that's uh that's difficult to, to deal with and i think you guys handled it uh incredibly well thank you very much i appreciate you saying that yeah no i mean it's uh it's, it's crazy that again uh, then the reason i asked about the first time you played what's my age i was going to ask what you, what was the reaction because i saw the reaction by the time i saw you guys play that track and i don't remember if you played it at Boreal or not, that would have been, that would have preceded the record. It was before that album came out. Cause of course, Rick played me the advanced cassette of, of the song. I don't remember. I watched your set that day. I don't remember if you played it and you said one of the funniest damn things ever. I'll never forget Mark. And you were always funny and I love your humor and I follow you on Twitter and I'll, I'll stop with the compliments, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I've always said to people that Hoppus is one of the funniest SOBs I've ever met. And you get on stage that day at Boreal and, and uh, you, you go, hey, Tom, 
this is boarding for breast cancer. I thought this was skiing for syphilis. And I, <laughs> I, I remember Mark laughing so hard. I'm like, oh my God, why didn't I think of that? Um, That's funny. Wow. I was, I was clever back then. You, you were, you were, you were clever from the time I met you. Um, so what is it like now? We t- touched on this a little bit, 22 years later and you know, you, you're walking into the mall with your son and your wife, you're, you're sitting down to dinner, you're in an elevator and this song's following you around. What does that still feel like? It's so rad. It's, it's, it's great that people still listen to it. I still love the song when we play it live and it comes up in the set and you know, that riff starts and people cheer when they just hear the first three notes of the song. Like even just sitting here now talking about it gives me goosebumps. Uh, it's such me, a, me too, uh, me too. It, it's such a rad moment in the set. It's such a rad moment in my life personally. It's such a, a cool thing, like I said, to see it still live on on Instagram and on Twitter. And just to think that something that I wrote as a joke sitting on my floor in my kitchen, kitchen slash living room of this small house that I bought when we got our first advance uh, has transcended into this other thing that was more than I would ever thought possible is really humbling and makes me happy. And, and, and as it should, you know, and I, and again, meant what I said uh, at the top, meant everything I said this episode, uh, just so happy for you guys. I got to see my friends and, and we were all rooting for you guys. You know, it's, it's hard to get that kind of fame. You're going to have detractors. Uh, uh, of course in the nineties, it was cries of their sellouts or this and that. And, uh, you were always just Mark, man. You were just Mark. And, uh, Thank you. I, I, I love you to this day, you and your band and, uh, wish you nothing but the best. Um, if, is there anything else you'd like to leave the listeners with, uh, uh, anything uh, uh, with Mark Solo, uh, your stuff? I know you got uh, a side project going with Alex uh, from All Time Low. Yeah, me and Alex uh, from All Time Low started a side band called Simple Creatures. It's uh, We call it trash pop. It's really dirty, poppy music. Very different than Blink, very different than All Time Low. If you think you're getting like uh, either of those bands, you'll be sorely disappointed, but <laughs> hopefully in a, in a positive way. I just started a radio show on Apple Music called After School Radio, uh, where I play music that I like and hang out and talk with my friends. And other than that, I'm just locked in my house recording Blink songs during quarantine. Right on. And any, any plans to, uh, to get back in the studio with, with Blink? Yeah. Well, Travis and I and Matt have been trading ideas around. Travis has his own studio. I have a studio set up uh, underneath the ground at my house. And Matt has access to his friend's studio. So although we haven't been together in person at all since, you know, probably late February, early March. Mm -hmm. Uh, We still trade songs and are writing stuff. Awesome, man. Well, again, congratulations on everything. Can't wait to hear uh, hear the new Blink music. And uh, thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, man. I can't wait to see you again. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans... We set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on the corner of Gray Street.
Hey everybody, I'm excited to announce my first ever book. Blast from the Past is my photographic journey through decades of being a touring musician. Packed full of pictures and stories detailing my years in less than jig. From our humble beginnings in Gainesville, Florida, to present day and everything in between. Pre-order now at KristaMakesABook.com. In addition to the book, there are several associated merch items. A 2021 calendar, an exclusive poster, t-shirts, and all kinds of other stuff. You gotta see it to believe it. And I've also recorded my first ever solo material to accompany the book. Available on limited edition 7-inch and streaming now. I've always wanted to write a book and I couldn't be happier with how Blast from the Past turned out. And for my loyal podcast listeners, I have an exclusive discount code for you. Type in BLAST at checkout to get 10% off any of the items or bundles available. Pre-order now at KristaMakesABook.com. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured band is Rebuilder from Boston, Massachusetts. You can find their music online at rebuilderboston.bandcamp.com. The band consists of Sal Ellington on guitar and vocals, Daniel Carswell on the bass, Harley Cox on drums, and Pat Hanlon on the keys. Here's a snippet of their song, Monuments. The Wrap with Chris and Chris. So I got to share my own personal experience with What's My Age Again as well. I was the target demographic. I was a punk rock fan in the 90s. I was a teenager. And I was already a Blink fan from Cheshire Cat and on. And I remember being on the internet and listening to the music on the internet was still a rather new thing. But Blink released... Short clips, three short clips of three songs, which I believe What's My Age Again was first, maybe a clip of Aliens Exist, and then maybe, I forget what the third song was that they shared a clip from, and being like, oh my God, this is amazing. And that was only (laughs) hearing like 15 seconds of each song. And then I remember going to any Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, people that happen to be listening are going to laugh but I remember going to Century 3 Mall. There was a National Record Mart there. And I was there before the mall opened, before the stores were open, when the cages were still down, because I had to get in there to buy Enema of the State the second it came out. So that's my own personal experience with this song and that album. Were you in your oversized jeans and super baggy shirt? Absolutely. Blind, <laughs> blind skateboarding jeans. Yeah, of give your, course. Give your chain wallet on too? Uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I, I to, to 
go to your point, uh, Blink was on the forefront of the internet thing. Uh, they were definitely right there. Hop, remember the tour that we did with them? Uh, Hoppus actually talked me into buying what was known as a Palm Top then, which was this little <laughs> little computer that you had to go into hotels and try to get on dial up. It was horrible. Uh, but they were always into technology and, uh, and and pushing the envelope. So that's that's really cool you remember that. And I sure as hell remember being in the pit at Club Laga at the Race Around Uranus tour of Less Than Jake and Blink-182. And to be honest, I was such a fan of both bands. I was probably a little bit more Less Than Jake, but you guys were literally my two favorite bands touring together. And that was so cool. I had the t-shirt. Of course, it was like a double extra large. And I remember like a decade later finding it in the closet and selling it on eBay for like 80 bucks or something. Because <laughs> I was like, there's no way I could ever wear this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, that tour was great. Mark actually, I didn't bring it up the episode. Uh, remember our manager called the time and says, so uh, yeah, Mark thought of a name for the tour. We're like, okay, we had no idea. Had, yeah, race around your anus. And we just, everyone fell out of their chairs. Like, okay, I guess that's the name of the tour. <laughs> but uh, we had a ball with those guys and and uh you know i met what i said in the episode they've always been been real dudes every time i see them they're just uh good friends and uh you know that it never really got to their heads so to speak they're they're still the same dudes i tour with back then which is which is refreshing and, and they deserve every bit of uh, of success that they got and this song i i asked mark i said what's it like you know 22 years later to hear to still hear this thing it's it's, it's woven into every uh part of, uh, and fabric of society it definitely seems like Mark is humble and down to earth. He's one of the guys I never actually met him in person, but I feel like I know him. Maybe it's because I've known his band for so long, or maybe it's because every interview you see with him, he seems like just a normal guy. He seems like a guy that would be hanging out with us. <laughs> and it was cool to hear him talk about his song. Obviously, He's very humble about everything that's happened for them. And then after it was over, I even got to say like, hey, man, I'm playing a band called Punchline. He was like, oh, yeah, yeah. He had us on his he had Steve from Punchline uh, on his podcast before. So always seems to be a guy that uh, gives back a little bit too to uh, smaller bands and things like that. So that's very cool. Yeah. No, you know, like I said, that you know, you get to be as big as Blink. You're going to have your jealous haters and your detractors. But I always stuck up for Mark. You know, Mark never, uh, never partied never drank. He was always very business minded and, uh, he knew what he wanted and he went for it, man. He worked, he worked his ass off. And, uh, I don't know. It was just really cool to be able, uh, you know, I, I, Mark, let me pick this song. I actually picked this one. Um, uh, there's other blink songs. Uh, all the small things is probably their most popular, uh, track, but I picked this one cause this is their breakout single. And I remember, uh, you know, hearing it for the first time in our, uh, uh shared booking agents, uh, uh, truck that day. And I just, I knew it was a smash. I was convinced, uh, unless something happened or their record label blew it or something. I was convinced this was going to be the the breakout track for the band. And, and it was. I like this song a hundred times better than all the small things. Uh, all the small things I think might be their biggest song ever. They had a lot of big songs, but I think yeah. it may have been their highest charting, most well-known song. Uh, and for some reason that song never resonated with me. I don't know. It's something about the verses and being two words at a time. Although both of these songs have those iconic things like Mark brought up the fact that he gets tagged on Instagram every day with nobody likes you when you're 23. Of course, I've heard that referenced a billion times. Sure. And then I know all the small things. It's always the work sucks. 
I know. Like that line for some reason just is something that is still referenced today. And uh, then I know that that I Miss You song, people always reference that song too. You know, they're a part of culture at large. They're, some of their songs and parts of their songs have become even bigger than the band or the song, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and it was really cool. And, and again, humbling of Mark to uh, talk about Jerry uh, Finn and the light that he did, uh, you know, referencing that he was like the fourth member of the band because he truly did change their sound. Uh, he, he just made them sound bigger. The parts were more intricate. And uh, let's not forget the contribution of Travis Barker. I mean, I was there uh, pre-Travis, uh, did a lot of touring with Blank and uh, they were a good band, but uh, he, he elevated them. Uh, he, the, the groove uh, that he brought to this band is uh, undeniable, just uh, un- undeniable player. And, uh, you know, this, this song, again, I, I picked it because it, uh, it was the song that threw these guys into the stratosphere. Right. Yeah. The difference between Dude Ranch and Enema of the State is insane. <laughs> yeah. I loved I love Dude Ranch. The songs are great. You could tell they come from the heart, but it's it's much more of a in your face punk rock album. Not that both of them aren't, but the production and just the whole new level they took it to with Enema of the State. And yeah, Travis is a huge part of that. Scott kind of became the Pete Best of Blink-182, I guess. Um and one more thing I wanted to touch on that I thought was so funny is Mark's story about talking to Billy Joe about J.A.R., <laughs> which I have to agree with you guys. That is my favorite Green Day song. And it's so funny that it's from the Angus soundtrack, but something about that song just feels so good and just brings up all these feelings of nostalgia. And I didn't know that Mike Dirt wrote that song. I, I had no idea either. I was educated by by Mark on my own show today about that, which was great. Um, I love that tune. That's probably one of my favorite Green Day songs as well. And there's so much emotion, I think, because it's about one of their best friends that uh, that had died. Uh, and right. uh, to think that Mike uh, wrote that. And and I know what Mark's uh, talking about. I've, I've done that before. The, the last time I, <laughs> I, 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 this is, this is funny. I was coming back in Australia and, uh, we were doing the Soundwave festival a couple of years ago and there's Alex Skolnick, uh, the, the guitar player for the band, heavy metal band Testament, amazing guitar player. And, uh, Alex is kind of jogging in place waiting for the light to change. And I, and I just got kind of starstruck. I used to love them. I still love them. Uh, but as a kid, I was a huge fan and I went up and say, Hey man, I'm, I'm, I'm on the tour with you. I playing a band less than Jake. And he's like, that's cool, man. I'm, I'm like, yeah, just want to tell you, man, I just, I've loved everything you did. I really, I know it was a rough time for metal bands, but I really love low, man. That's one of my favorite records. He's like, I didn't play on that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty bad. <laughs> oh, you, you want to talk about uh, open rear end insert foot? Yeah, that was me that day. <laughs> Dude, you know who my experience with that is recently? No. Or do I? You. Oh, me? You. Me. I had that experience with you lately because you sent me tracks from the new Less Than Jake album because I was doing lyric videos for you. And I said, you know, about one of the songs. I The, the track listing isn't out yet, so I won't say names of songs. But I said... Dude, this song is amazing. This is this is one of the best Lesson Jake songs. You're like, oh yeah, Jr. wrote that one. I was like, oh cool. Uh, but I don't think that you have any uh, sort of ego about that. Uh, no, nah, I only I, have animosity towards Roger, not Jr. You know? Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I, I just wrote back, yeah, JR is a beast of a songwriter. That's all. Nah, the song he wrote is a ripper. I can't wait for people to hear it. Actually, man, people don't have to wait at all to hear it because as of today, the song I'm talking about, which is called Dear Me, is now streaming everywhere. Dear me, I confess 
not only is it streaming today, but you can also watch the lyric video that Chris Fafalios put together. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, man, I made it. I got to hear that song a whole bunch of times, and I never got sick of it, and I'm not just saying that. Um, I'll, dude, this is such an exciting time for you, man. Not only do you have a new album coming out, new songs premiering, but you also wrote a book. <laughs> I did, man. I'm so excited. Uh, pre-orders are up now. You can go find that at KristaMakesABook.com. I can't get away from this Krista Makes a whatever thing, Chris. Um, yeah. <laughs> I love it, man. I'm always the one suggesting that. <laughs> you got you to do Krista Makes a Book, man. Uh, I got to say that I had a blast. You and I did a lot of late night editing for for grammar and and etc uh we went way into the night and that was fun even though we got pretty tired doing it uh, i couldn't have done it without you you killed yourself for this project <laughs> the book's called blast from the past all kinds of bundles associated with it. there's posters there's a bookmark there's a calendar there's a seven inch there's two songs uh uh one of them is streaming now called blast from the past so uh yeah it's it's an exciting time so once again you can find that at chris demakes a book Com. And speaking of projects, I'm not the only one that's busy here, Chris. Can, can, we, can we talk a little bit about a punchline? What you guys have coming up? Dude, we both got so much stuff going on. But uh, in November, Punchline, my band that I've played in for decades, uh, we have a music special that's going to be debuting and streaming on Amazon Prime uh, starting on November 20th. So if you don't know me and my band Punchline, maybe you could check it out. And if you know us, you should definitely check it out. And uh, not only that, but we have a new song coming out on Friday, the 13th of November. It's called Be Right There. You're a wild card, your candlelight in my ship. Hey gang, want to thank everybody for listening once again. Uh, you guys have been loyal supporters from the start of this. I want to thank uh, today's guest, Mark Hoppus. And uh, once again, I want to give a quick mention to Gilda's Club of Middle Tennessee, this month's charity. If you can give anything, we'd really appreciate it. You can go to ChrisToMakesADifference.com. It'll link you to their site to make a donation. All right, everybody. It's been real. We'll see you next week. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.